Well, it's good to see all of you. Um, you know, several weeks ago, I had what um, can only be described as a life-changing experience. Um, for years, people had told me about it. I'd read books about it. But I gotta I got admit, I, I wasn't quite ready um, for it when, when it came. I'm talking about my first visit to Costco. Um, you know, I don't have one of those cards. Like, I feel like if you're a Costco or Sam's Club member, it's kind of cultic, you know, but didn't have one of those cards. Family member did. So I go into Costco and didn't really know what to expect, to be honest. Um, had a lot of friends who love Costco. I think they had a couple Costco tattoos, in fact. But <laughs> walked in and uh, see all these TVs. And I'm like, what this amazing discount. I'm like, where was this place all my life? And then you keep walking and there's a, a ton of name brand clothing that's like dirt cheap. You're like, is this even real, right? And, um, and then it just gets better because you, you walk, you know, like every 10 feet and you have these angelic beings saying, free samples, free samples. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yes, yes, all of it, you know, and come again and again. And I'm like, honey, forget dinner plans. We're going to Costco for dinner, right? But it, the best was yet to come because I walk, I'm walking out. I'm like, that was a pretty cool experience. Maybe come back, maybe get a membership. Well, then the end, it, it just really sold me over because I see this glowing sign that says, hot dog and drink, $1.50. I thought, okay, selling my house, moving into Costco, right? And I just found myself again and again walking out of Costco saying literally out loud, wow, wow. In fact, show of hands, how many of you are going to Costco after church today? Let's just a little honesty in church. No shame, no shame. How many of you are like, I love Sam's Club, I hate Costco, guys? Yep, a few of us here, okay. Division in the church, reunited in Christ, remember that? But John 10, verses 1 to 21, is a bit like walking into Costco. Some of you are like, where is he going with this? It's a bit like walking into Costco because building off of the events of what we heard about last week in John 9, Jesus begins to unfold for us, before our very eyes, redemptive history. And he gathers a crowd of people and begins to tell a parable, a story, using allegory and metaphor. And I believe it's this story, this parable we're going to look at this morning that has the chance to change your life and leave you walking out of this church today saying, wow. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me now to um, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and let's begin by listening into Jesus Beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with, used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, got to pause there because in order to understand what Jesus is saying, in order to unlock this parable, we have to understand a little bit of ancient Near Eastern times. 
Um, shepherding in those days was, was not an uncommon concept. Shepherding was a common but difficult job where shepherds were commanded to um, provide, protect, and care for their sheep. Throughout the Old Testament, we find this silver thread of God using this metaphor of a shepherd with his sheep is the same as God's relationship with his people. Take for example, this is all throughout, but here's one example, Psalm uh, chapter 78, verse 52. He brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. But the problem was that throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, the people, the leaders that God had called to care for his people failed in caring for his people again and again to the point where God finally indicts the leaders in the nation of Israel. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34, because Ezekiel 34 is a helpful passage to apply in interpreting what Jesus is saying here in John 10. Ezekiel 34, once again, the context, leaders of the nation of Israel, of God's people, fail again and again and again. God has some words to say to them. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse two, he says this. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is the state of God's people. Story throughout the Old Testament that continually was on repeat. It was cyclical. It went something like this. God gives a shepherd. Shepherd fails. Sheep harmed. God gives a shepherd, shepherd fails, sheep harmed. Again and again and again. Yet in the midst of such failure, God's people held on to the promise that one day he would send forth a good shepherd, a perfect leader. This is prophesied throughout the Old Testament, but specifically in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah prophesies, quote, that there will soon be a Messiah who will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In other words, in every way that these Old Testament leaders failed, this forthcoming leader would succeed. In other words, God's people were longing for a good shepherd. And as Jesus tells this parable, what he's about to do in explaining the parable is give us and the crowd before him four ways that Jesus is the good shepherd. Four ways that Jesus differs from every other failed leader in history. 
He begins in verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Who's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about people who have come before him who have said, I'm the Messiah. He says, no, 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 no. Those guys are thieves and robbers. If you want to know how, he continues on. He says, but the sheep did not listen to them. They were really the Messiah. The sheep would have heard them and listened to them. They didn't. Verse 9, he continues on. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, in those days, a sheepfold only had one door to get in. There's only one way in and only one way out. So what Jesus is saying is that in the same way that there's only one way in the sheepfold, there is only one way to heaven, and the sheep gate's name is Jesus. I am the door. But notice he doesn't stop there. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And it's here that we find the first way that Jesus is the good shepherd, which is this. He gives life. Unlike the thief, the devil, and the thieves, these sinful religious leaders, who ultimately wanted to destroy their subjects, Jesus came to do the opposite. To the point where Jesus says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. I love that word abundantly. In the original languages, it can literally be translated to say, exceeding the normal size. I like that. Jesus is saying that life with him exceeds life with anyone or anything else. And we desperately need to hear that this morning, don't we? Because all of us, it's true of all of us, all of our hearts have been telling us all week that if I could just have this, if I could just have that, then I'll really be happy. All of us. This is why John Calvin once said that the human heart is like an idol factory, continuing to create things that we place our trust in with the hope that we'll finally find true fulfillment. In his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller defines idols when he writes the following. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything you seek to be so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. It's a good definition. But maybe to make it plain, how would you fill in the blank to this sentence? It'll be on the screen. If I have blank, then I will feel like my life has meaning, value, and significance. What is that for you? It's a question we must ponder because our hearts are consistently drawn to fill in that blank with everything but Jesus. When Jesus says he came to give life and to give it abundantly, what he is telling us is that he is the only one big enough 
to fill in that blank. Jesus is the good shepherd in that he gives life abundantly. The question is, do you want it? Verse 11, Jesus continues on with the discourse explaining the parable. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for sheep. When shepherds had to be away from their um, sheep for a period of time, they would typically hire someone to stand in their stead, to take their place. But because the sheep were not owned by the hired man, whenever he would see danger encroaching, he would flee and run. But Jesus is not so. Verse 14, he repeats, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Unlike the hired hand who doesn't know his sheep and runs when they are in danger, Jesus knows his sheep, even to the point of laying down his life for them. And it is here that we find the second way Jesus is the good shepherd, which is this. He knows you. He knows you. Question, how well does Jesus know his people? Answer, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. This is an amazing statement. In the same way that God the Father knows God the Son, and God the Son knows God the Father, so Jesus knows you. This means that Jesus doesn't know his people like an acquaintance, or a Facebook friend, or a coworker, or a best friend, or even a spouse. He knows his people like God the Father knows him. Friends, this is a comforting truth, isn't it? Because it means that Jesus knows you better than you know you. You might think, well, what what does that even mean? What's that even mean? It means Jesus knows his people in two primary ways. First, he knows your secrets. Psalm 44, verse 21 tells us that God, quote, knows the secrets of the heart. There is absolutely nothing about you that God does not know. Nothing. And yet, for many of us, there are things that we have done and thought about this week in private that we deceive ourselves into thinking that God does not know about. Charles Spurgeon said, Thought is speech before God. In other words, your silent thoughts are deafening screams before God. There is nothing hidden from him. So, let me ask, are you tired of trying to hide from God what he already knows? 
Let's get more specific. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another person? Is there anyone in your life that knows the temptations you battle and the sins you commit? Anyone? The Bible says in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus covers our sin. Friend, maybe the most practical thing you could do after this sermon this week is call a trusted brother or sister and meet with them and confess your sins to them. Here's not what I mean by confession. It's not what I mean. Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm doing good. I need to read my Bible more and need to pray more, love Jesus more. Brother, listen, that might be true. That's true of all of us, amen? I'm talking about meeting with someone and opening up that closet you want no one to see your dirty laundry in. And you saying, I struggle with this, I struggle with that, I did this, I did that. I wanna have fellowship with Jesus. I'm telling you, would you help me? God pours out a ton of grace on people who do that. Will you? God already knows about it. And your secret sin on earth will one day be an open scandal in heaven. You're gonna have to stand before Jesus and tell him everything that you were too afraid to tell others about on earth. Can you imagine that? So why not tell a friend today? First, Jesus, he knows our secrets. Secondly, he knows your suffering. He knows your suffering. In ancient Near Eastern times, there's a beautiful picture because sheep would come back into the, the sheepfold at night and the shepherd would literally pick up each sheep and examine its body all over to find if there were any ailments or injuries that might be hindering the sheep. In the same way, and in a, in a much deeper, intimate way, Jesus knows every sorrow you carried with you into church. All of them. Get this. Jesus is the only one in the world who can say with complete assurance and truthfulness, I know exactly what you're going No one else can say that to you and mean it. Perhaps you're here today and you are experiencing unexpected suffering. And you've recently been thinking to yourself, if you're honest, I feel like God has forgotten me. Charles Spurgeon once had a young woman in his congregation after he preached on Jesus being our good shepherd and and caring for us in the midst of suffering. And a young woman came up to him after the church service and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I feel forgotten by God in my suffering. Charles Spurgeon looked her in the eyes and said these words, Oh, dear one, the same God who hung every star in the sky and knows them each by name is in no danger of forgetting yours. Some of us need to hear that. God has not forgotten you. To the point, Psalm 56 verse eight says, you keep track of all my sorrows. There's a divine Excel sheet, okay, probably not. Divine Excel sheet where God has recorded every single one of your sorrows. Every tear, every pain, every hurt. He knows them all. 
To quote our very own Davy Asif, God knows all of our tears on a first name basis. It's true, isn't it? And friend, here's the good thing. It's not only that God knows your suffering, it's that he'll never leave you in it. Always. Jesus is the good shepherd and that he knows you and even more so than we know ourselves. Amen. Verse 16. It says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What Jesus is implying is that the advent of his coming has created a new community of faith where there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Because of Jesus' coming, the the kingdom of God swings wide her doors to all that would place their faith in Jesus. But this isn't the only thing Jesus is implying. Look at verse 16 carefully. This requires some nuance. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There are sheep that are not in this fold. That's pretty simple to understand, but notice what he says next. I must bring them also. Oh, what a rich truth. Jesus is telling the entire crowd that unlike earthly shepherds that just keep watch over their sheep, Jesus, the good shepherd, not only keeps watch over his own sheep, he brings more sheep into the fold. And it is here that we find the third way Jesus is the good shepherd, which is this. He pursues you. Several years ago, an article was published online with the following title, Sheep Die in Mass Suicide Jump. I thought I gotta read it, just gotta read it. It was a story about a shepherd in Eastern Turkey who had a flock of 1,500 sheep. And in the middle of the night, the shepherd, who was supposed to be watching over the sheep, not by accident, not with intentionality, but he fell asleep. Minor detail, the sheep gate was open. So one sheep got curious and thought, I wonder what life is like outside of the sheepfold. Walked a couple hundred yards into the countryside and without knowing it, stepped over a cliff into his death. Another sheep, I thought, thought, I wonder what that sheep was doing. I don't know if that's what he thought, but I'm assuming. (laughs) Do sheep even think? I I don't know. Sheep are interesting animals. But this sheep followed this other sheep a couple hundred yards from the countryside without knowing it stepped over a cliff. He or she, I don't know what the gender was, died. This happened again and again and again 1,499 times. To the point where the end of the article states, quote, all that could be seen from the edge of the cliff was a billowing white pile of sheep. I don't know about you, but that's why I caught a bad day. Now, while that story is certainly funny, it is a soft illustration of each of our lives. Isaiah 56, 53, rather, verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. In the same way that a sheep leaves where it is meant to be and walks over a cliff, we have all turned from God's righteous rules. And here's the thing, we do it and think we're wise. When all the while, we are one step away from falling off a cliff into eternal damnation. 
And our only hope is not that we find our way back to God, but that God sends Jesus to find us. That is exactly what Jesus promises in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. This means Jesus is on a global mission of seeking and saving the lost, even today. So my unbelieving friend, find yourself in this church today. Can I just ask you, do you know you're not in church by accident? You're not. The good shepherd has been pursuing you. He's been placing content, circumstances, conflict, and even Christians into your life to show you and open your eyes to the reality that your sin is leading you over a cliff. But the good news of the gospel is that any sinner that would turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ becomes a new creation and is saved. Amen? And that is open to you. Will you trust him? Christian, did you know you're not in church today by accident? See, God is wanting to remind you he is pursuing your unbelieving friends and family members even when you can't see it. See, our confidence in evangelism isn't in our ability to share the gospel. Our confidence in evangelism is that the good shepherd raises dead sinners to life. So we share the gospel. So can I ask you, who have you shared the gospel with this past week, this past month, this past year? Because Jesus is pursuing people all over the world and bringing in new sheep all of the time into his sheepfold. And don't you want to be a part of that? I sure do. Verse 17. Jesus says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Referring, of course, to the miracle that Jesus just did in chapter 9. What Jesus says here is so explicit that those listening to him think that he has gone mad. When Jesus says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again, Jesus is prophesying about what will soon happen. That he will obey the Father's will by dying and rising from the dead for his people. Jesus is making the unmistakable claim that he is God. And he does this by giving us our fourth in final way that he is the good shepherd. He dies for you. In ancient Near Eastern times, even the most noble of shepherds would not lay down their life for their sheep. Would it make sense? After all, if a shepherd were to die, it would mean the inevitable death of the entire flock. 
But at the heart of the gospel, that logic is flipped on its head. The good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep means the sheep live. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, Jesus Christ died for us so that we might live with him. But even more shocking is the truth that Jesus didn't just die for his people. It's much deeper than that. Jesus didn't just die for his people, he died in their place. This is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, he proclaimed, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hinting at the fact that Jesus would become like a lamb, a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Such that Isaiah 53 tells us, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Here it comes like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. Why? 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, so that we might be ransomed from the futile ways of our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I'm saying all of this to simply say this. Here is the message of the gospel. The good shepherd becomes a lamb so that the sheep can know their shepherd. See? If you wanted to summarize the gospel in the one sentence, it could be this. Jesus in my place. All of my sin guilt and shame on Jesus in all of his righteousness, purity, and loveliness on me. So, I must ask, does anyone feel like a mess this morning? Anybody? Anybody feel like a mess? I don't mean mess like, my week was so crazy that I'm wearing the same clothes that I wore last Sunday. That's what I mean. I mean mess like I'm here and I feel so messed up that I wonder, could God love me? And my friend, if that is you, you came to the perfect place. Because look around you. Go ahead, look around you. Everybody's a total mess. They just look good. Everybody's a total mess. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mess. Now turn to your other neighbors and say they're a mess too because they're left out. <laughs> I mean, calm down. You guys are getting crazy with this. Some of you are like, yeah, you're a mess, you know. <laughs> Waiting to say that for years. Listen, Jesus did not die for clean sheep. They don't exist. Jesus died for sinful, unrighteous, proud, evil, made a mess of my life, I can't clean up sheep, so that your confidence wouldn't be in your goodness, but in Jesus. It, it is as if when Jesus died on the cross, was laid in the tomb, and was risen from the dead. It is as if in that moment, God pulled up a Word document with all of your sins and hit select all, delete. 
which means if you're a Christian this morning, you are a walking billboard telling everyone around you, Jesus turns messes into miracles. And here's the good news. There is coming a day when we, his sheep, will finally see our good shepherd. The one who gave us life, the one who knows us intimately and yet loves us, the one who pursues us unto life, and the one, yes, who died for us. We're gonna see him. Such that we will stand one day with all of the sheep of eternity past, of eternity present, and eternity future, before the throne, singing Revelation 5. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. He's covering all his bases. Saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever which should lead us to say with the old Puritan, oh, what love. That Christ, whose hands keep a million worlds from spinning into oblivion, were nailed motionless on a cross for me. That me, a clod of dirt, might be made into a precious jewel. That me, a lost sheep, might be redeemed by the good shepherd. Oh, that I might spend more of my life in wonder at the cross. The good shepherd gives life. He knows you. He pursues you. And oh, glorious day, he died for you, which should lead us to walk out of this place today saying, wow. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the deep truths of the gospel that we could take a shovel and dig and dig and dig into for the rest of our lives and never reach the bottom. We're grateful. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. We who know you by faith are your sheep. And one day we're gonna see you and sing, worthy is the lamb. So until that day, give us grace to live by faith, not by sight, and obey your word. In Jesus' name, And everyone said, amen. amen.